Well, good morning again. Uh, this morning, we're going to start reading together uh, about the life of David uh, from the books of First and Second Samuel. David, uh, if you don't know, was the second king of Israel. His reign started somewhere around 1000 BC. He was a man uh, of bravery and courage and conviction and a man of vindictiveness and trouble and violence. He was all of those things at the same time. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I think that it's good for people like you and me to read about the life of David and to think about it because we share uh, the same divided heart that he had, and we live all of our lives out with the same God that he lived his life out with. So we will learn about ourselves as we learn about him, and we will learn about the God who made promises to him that still matter to us this very second. And like John Calvin said, knowing God and knowing ourselves is the whole sum of wisdom worth calling true. But David's story uh, doesn't begin with David in the way that scripture tells the story. It begins as important stories in the Bible often do with a woman who wanted to have a baby and could not. Her name is Hannah, and she lives in the hill country with her husband, Elkanah, and with his other wife, Peninnah, who we are told has no problem at all having kids. So we're going to pick up uh, their story in 1 Samuel 1. I'll read verses 3 through 18. We have a little bit more than that printed, but I'll uh, stop short at verse 18. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and do not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard 
Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now, uh, as we talk about this word um, that we have read, that we have heard together, that you would meet us in whatever places and whatever conditions we come to you this morning in, from whatever weeks we have had or days or mornings, meet us and show us your grace again and change us by it. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my, uh, my work email has a function on it that I both love and hate. Uh, I bet a lot of you have it too. It is the nudge function. Uh, if you don't have it, here's what it does. It moves emails that you have not responded to or emails that you have sent and not heard back about. It moves them up to the top of your inbox. It is a nudge to get stuff done to take care of it. Uh, and I love that because sometimes I get behind on things and I would rather have a passionless algorithm remind me about it than uh, some frustrated real person email me. But I hate it too because sometimes there's stuff that requires more thought than I can give it in a moment or I put it off be because of what I think is a good reason and uh, the nudge feels like it is pestering me and no one likes to feel pestered by their email. And I thought about that this week when I read Hannah's beautiful prayer. If you let me put it like this, it is like she sets up a nudge with God. <laughs> Look at me, God. Look at me. That's what she says. And then she puts it another way. Remember me, God. And then for good measure, she says it again a third time, a little bit differently. Don't forget me, God. Look, God, remember, God, don't forget, God. <laughs> she is insistent that God keeps her at the top of the stack. <laughs> I mean, she is talking to the God of the universe. She's talking to the one who fashioned the pillars of the earth. But as far as she believes, she has got his full attention when she prays. And she is absolutely right, church. And that's how God is with us, too. And I don't think that we can ever hear that enough. So Hannah lives in the waning days of the judges of Israel. Back when we read the, the book of Ruth together in the fall, we talked about what life was like for people like Hannah who lived in those days and lived under those conditions, you might remember things uh, were really bad. The politics 
and the culture were a wreck. It was chaotic and it was violent. So let's be honest. It's not exactly hard for us to get our minds around that, is it? I watched, like all of you, in some kind of disbelief on Wednesday, as our capital was swarmed by folks who had been encouraged and inflamed in no small way by our president. It was a massive and reprehensive failure of leadership, the bitter fruit of years of bad seeds being sown. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons that reading about David's life is important. In some ways, the books of First and Second Samuel offer people like us a lot of opportunity to reflect on the nature of both leadership and being led, and about the warping and about the pressure that extends onto a human life that seeks and then gets power. David fails in leadership, at least as often as he gets it right. And you know what that does? It makes people like us long for a better king. A king who gives of himself at great cost for the good of those he rules. And church, here's the good news. That is the king that we have in Jesus. That is the meaning of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. He leads us in self-giving love, and it is self-giving love that orders all of his steps on our behalf. And to follow him in faith is to be slowly changed. It is to be slowly changed by the strong work of his Holy Spirit to have our own actions be more and more ordered by self-giving love. It is that work of the Spirit that enables people like us to be salt and hopefully to be a compelling, beautiful light in a culture that is in tatters, in a culture that's a wreck. Hannah lived in a time like that. And she lived with a personal pain. She wants children and she cannot have them. And the storyteller gives us a window into that ache. Every year the family would go to Shiloh to worship God there and to make sacrifices. Now you need to remember and keep in mind this is way before a temple had been built in the city of Jerusalem. So God's people worshipped him in this movable place of worship called the tabernacle. And it was in Shiloh for a long time for reasons that we don't really know. And every year, Hannah's family would make the trip there. And something about that place and something about what they did in that place brought painful clarity to Hannah and to her situation. Every year, um, they would wind up as a family in this pretty bad tailspin. After the sacrifices were made at the celebratory feast, Elkanah would give Hannah a double portion of food because he loved her and he felt badly for her. 
He would say things like, why do you weep? And, and why is your heart sad? And am I not more to you than ten sons? I mean, <laughs> he's kind of a knucklehead, obviously. But in a culture that largely saw women's value through their childbearing, he does not. He loves Hannah for who she is. And that's good. But you do wish he would tell Peninnah, his mouthy second wife, to leave Hannah alone. Because she would provoke Hannah at Shiloh year after year after year. It was a horrible cycle of pain and anger and sadness. And you know, Hannah had no control over this situation. That doesn't mean that she had no relief or outlet in it. One year, she switches things up. After the feast at which she had eaten not one thing, she got up and she walked over close to the tabernacle. And she began to pray. Out of the pain of her experience, out of the tears of her experience, she prays for the situation that is outside of her control. And that is a remarkable thing. But at the same time, it's also a thing that most of us as human beings understand. I think most people understand this, even if they say they're not religious or even if they say they don't believe much of anything at all. I mean, one of the most natural human things to do when we are scared and when we are in pain is to call out to God, even if it is just to say his name. And we do that because we are made for it. We do that because every human being knows in the parts of ourselves that can't be measured, in the parts of ourselves that can't be quantified or observed, every one of us knows that someone is listening. The theologian Peter Lightheart writes that every prayer is like the prayer of Hannah. And I think what he means by that is that all of our prayer is an attempt to talk with God about the stuff of our lives. <laughs> I mean, that is what prayer is. It's a running conversation with God about our shared life with him in this world. I mean, prayer uh, is not just a thing that gets done on Sundays. Prayer not, is not just a thing that gets done in formal situations or in really important situations. Prayer is not something that just happens at certain times, like before meals or before bed. I mean, those, those are all great times to pray. But the ideal is that we would be in a constant conversation with God all day. I mean, that's, I think, what the Apostle Paul means when he says pray without ceasing. I think that's what Jesus meant when he told us that story specifically designed to teach us that we ought always to pray. And to never lose heart. And cultivating that habit, cultivating the habit of keeping an open dialogue with God... It leads to health for people like us. It makes us healthier. And it grows us in our faith. And it does that precisely because prayer is one of the places where God has promised to meet with people like us. We find him in prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. It changes us. 
and in a mystery that we're probably never going to get to the bottom of, prayer is also one of the things that God uses to change other things, too. So Hannah prays. Look at me, God. Remember me, God. Do not forget me, God. It's this beautifully insistent nudge-like prayer, like the one that the persistent widow prayed in the gospel lesson that we heard. She prays like God knows all about her. She prays as if God knows every detail of her life, down to the most intimate of them. And church, she's absolutely right. God knows everything about her, and he knows everything about us, too. And she adds a little bit of her own agency into this situation that is beyond her control. It's not not a bad idea to do from time to time. She says, God, listen, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. So old Eli, the priest, has been watching her pray. One of his jobs at festivals like this one was to sit near the entrance to the tabernacle as a kind of sentry. So he's there and he's watching her. And he is certain that she's drunk and he gives her the business for it. (laughs) And she sets him straight. She says, no, I have been pouring out my soul to God. And properly chastened, Eli tells her to go in peace. And then he prays that God would grant her petition. It's interesting, isn't it, that he has no idea what her petition is. (laughs) And Hannah knows that he has no idea what her petition petition is. And, And, you know, further than that, Hannah knows that she is no more pregnant in that moment than she was in the moment that she got up and walked over towards the entrance of the tabernacle to pray. I mean, Hannah knows how babies come into the world. And so from one way of looking at things, absolutely Nothing has changed. But of course, there's been a profound change in that cycle that had swallowed up Hannah and her family year after year after year. Today was different. She went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Church, all she did was pray. But it changed everything. Now, what any of this, (laughs) what any of this has to do with the larger political life of Israel at the time, what any of this has to do with the life and kingship of David, it's anybody's guess at this point. And we will find out soon enough. But for now, this is what we have learned. Prayer matters. And the God who is there hears us when we pray. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask um, that you would help us to hear this story again afresh. The story that feels so earthy and real and full of trouble and pain and full of hope. 
that you would help us to hear this story afresh and believe again afresh that this world is not closed, that you are, are listening, that you hear us when we pray. Father, help us to be a people who cultivate the habit of just talking to you all the time. Do that for our own health and for our own maturity in the faith and do that so that we would slowly become a people through whom you can love this broken world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.